Harp on Sports with Seth Harp. You know what time it is. Three, two, one. Let's do this. Go, bartenders. Go, food needs refill. Harp on Sports, the bar, podcast media, audio, and radio network. What do we have in store for you on this edition of The Bar? A college football season synopsis, regular season in the rearview mirror, and just, what, 41 bowl games on the horizon with so many opt-outs. I don't know what you really get out of the bowl games until you get, like, to the New Year's Six. For building programs, fine. For middling programs, I, I like I look at this. Like, if Florida State wins, what does it mean? If Florida loses, what does it mean? If Yeah. But now that the regular season is gone, we're going to look through the rearview mirror and see what we took away from this year. And like anything else, I think there's a hierarchy here of things that we now know to be true that we didn't some 14, 15 weeks ago. So we're going to look at that. Also, Heisman voting. Heisman voting devalued. Good gracious. I always knew there's a lot of people that voted. 870 voters, right? Good God. Some of the people that receive votes, and look, they're, they're nice players, but Heisman winners? This thing is so regionally biased. It's, and I guess if you're going to kill regional bias, you just have to flood the market with votes. But this is ridiculous. Some, what do we have, 12, 13 different guys that got at least a one vote? So I propose that we cut down on the Heisman voters. There's too many. 870 people. Come on. Come on. Half that. Yeah, half that. And I see people that I don't watch much Pac-12 football. Then you should be a voter. I think there should be a test every year. No, about every year, but just like a license, an officiating license. I, I just some of this stuff's ridiculous, and I'm going to go through and tell you why it's ridiculous. Also, NFL regular season, we got a month to go, so we're going to look at our four week window. I think there's now a front runner for the MVP, and. I'm going to look at the bookends at the top and at the back of the playoff picture. So Harp on Sports, the bar, podcast, media, audio, radio network, at Harp on Sports, Twitter, at Harp on Sports, Instagram. You can follow us via that route. Auditory route, Buzzsprout, Spotify, Apple Podcast. Also, consume us. Harp on Sports, the Facebook page, Harp on Sports, the YouTube channel, and of course, HarpOnSports.com. Let's start off first with college football season in review. Now, look, a lot can be determined over the course of the next few weeks here. But as we sit today, I think there's some value without needing the next few weeks. You know, yeah, I mean, let's face it. If, if Ohio State and Michigan meet in the national championship game, does that mean the Big Ten's better than the SEC? No, no, it doesn't. If TCU wins it, does that mean the Big 12 is better than all of them? No. So, see, that, that's why you got to be careful. Well, we got to wait until the change. No, you don't need to wait. There's certain things that you can just take stock in right now. So, I got a couple things for you. I got five observations for me now that the regular season is done that I think are now true. And some of these are going to be flashy and sexy. Some of them you'd be like, oh, yeah, duh. Well, let's start off then. The first one I have on my list, five counting down, uh, is that the group of five no longer has a powerhouse leader. There is always a changing of the guard at the top of the group of five. And for the longest time, it was Boise State. And then Houston snuck around the corner. TCU was there before. They joined the Big 12 a little bit. But you had Boise State. Then then around the corner, here comes TCU, although that was short-lived. And bam, before you know it, here's Houston. And after Houston, it was Central Florida. 
in like the northern Illinois of the world and western Michigan went undefeated one year in there. But let's face it, the group of five has always had, you know, an anchor. It changes because coaches leave there all the time. All those coaches left. And for the last few years, it was Cincinnati. So it went to me the longest time. Boise State into Houston, then UCF, and then Cincinnati. But Cincinnati, Luke Fickle's gone now. They don't make their conference championship game. And the group of five is now what? Represented by Tulane. Willie Fritz is a good coach. Is this a one-shot deal? We'll see. With the group of five team getting a seat at the table, at least a 12-team table, they're always going to be on the road, right? They're always going to, the group of five, it's going to be hard seeing them hosting like Alabama or hosting a major program, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see exactly in two, three years here, how this all shakes out. But for the first time, you know, the changing of the guard, who's it going to be next? We'll see. But Cincinnati has passed that baton to who? Tulane for this year, but we'll see if they are that staple group. It usually works in three or four-year spurts, so we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, Number four on my list is that USC's on the runway of being back. They're not back yet, but they're on the runway. They're in the plane getting ready to take off. Didn't make the college football playoff. The job that Lincoln Riley did in year one is phenomenal. Got him a Heisman Trophy winner his third in six years. If you're an elite quarterback, that's where you should go, wherever Lincoln Riley is. He produces Heisman winners left and right. Then you can sit there and say, well, he doesn't produce national champions. Well, okay. So you'd rather be Stetson Bennett? No, come on. You'd rather be the Heisman Trophy winner and the number one pick in the draft or number two pick in the draft or a top five pick than go somewhere and win a championship and not get drafted. Come on, who are we kidding? Let's be realistic about this. But USC on the runway, not taking off yet. USC's back when they're in the championship game. You know, that, that, that we hold them to a different standard. So they're close. So that's the fourth thing I have on my list. Third thing I have on my list is Michigan is now the class of the Big Ten. These are the developments that took place this year. That I Look, what they did, they beat Ohio State. Well, two years ago, didn't play them because of COVID. Last year, they beat them at home. This year, they beat them on the road. So now Michigan's senior class... We'll go into next year, never having lost to Ohio State. Now, you may sit there and say, well, Ohio State's the premier pro. Ohio State could beat Michigan this year. You're right. In the college football playoff, if Ohio State beats Michigan in the finals or Ohio State wins it, then you could take this off the table. But where we stand right now, Michigan's the preeminent program. They are in the Big Ten. Until Ohio State takes it away from them, you kind of see where I'm going. There's another program that's taken over their conference too, right? Number two, I have portal pandemonium. Talk about changing the landscape of college football. It's the most significant change to college football and changing the landscape since the scholarship change with the streamlining of scholarships, a hard count on scholarships. So you didn't have Alabama offering guys just so they could keep them away from Auburn with no intention to ever play them. You had 50, you could offer a million. Do you remember that when you could have 130, 140 scholarships? To me, the transfer portal is the most significant thing since then. And they kind of get a curb on it. Our last podcast, we offered some suggestions when it comes to the portal. You can only sign six to eight guys from the portal each year. I said six. A lot of people think eight. You only can sign six guys out of the portal. If you want to transfer within the conference, you have to sit out a year. That way you disperse talent across the country. Outside of the conference, you can transfer immediately. Within the conference, you still have to sit out a year. There's ways to to, to, to try to strengthen this. We'll see what happens. 
I like the, and also with the NFL draft, you can enter the NFL draft. If you don't get drafted, then you can come back to college football, but you have to go to a group of five instead of a power five. So if you're insert wide receiver, Mississippi state, you enter the NFL draft, you don't go, you can come back to college football, but you have to come back to a group of five rising tide, all ships. Number one, what 2022 college football, biggest takeaways. Number one, George is now the elite program in not only the sec, but college football. You know, Alabama, Clemson right there, 1-2 for the longest time. Clemson's kind of faded away the last two or three years. Ohio State's been right there as well, but now it's Georgia. doesn't mean Georgia's going to win the national championship. They could lose to Ohio State. The best team doesn't necessarily win. Right? The Chiefs were the best team last year. Lost to the Bengals. It happens. Patriots went 18-0, didn't win the Super Bowl. College football, it happens. Kentucky was, what, 38-0? Lost in the Final Four to Wisconsin. So, you know, it was about eight, nine years ago now, right? So as you look at these things, Georgia's the preeminent program in college football now. So those are my five takeaways from 2022. Pivoting from that right into the Heisman. Uh, look, I, I think the order was correct. When you're arguing over the bronze medalist, I, I think we're okay. Caleb Williams was the best player in college football this year. I did see some people tweeting that are voters, at least they say they're voters. I didn't watch one of his games this year. Well, you should be allowed to vote. And look, this is regionally biased anyway. I I never understood, and this happens like with MVP voting as well. And I get it because we're still caught in this arcane media world where the beat writers and everybody that's on the beat gets the... But if you're following the same team and you're watching the same team in the same window in the press box all year long... You don't watch other things. You don't. To me, I'll just give you an example. A guy sitting back at the headquarters at ESPN, like like a Joey Galloway or a Dan Mullen, who sits there is watching five, six, seven, eight games a day. They're much more worthy of a Heisman voter than somebody that's covering one team. You tell me if how, how, how on earth, if you're covering just an example, you're covering just Tennessee football, you're going to have any sort of gauge on the rest of the country. 870 voters? ridiculous plus all the former Heisman winners I get that they get a vote then the fans get one vote and you see why the fans don't shouldn't be getting a vote they Hendon Hooker was their winner he was good and he had a good year but the Heisman winner well if he doesn't get hurt but he did get hurt Blake Corum got hurt too the difference is Tennessee had lost a game with Hendon Hooker Michigan didn't lose a game with Blake Corum and Blake Corum's my cutoff line I went through and looked what do we have? Over 10 different guys got a first place vote. Come on. If this doesn't, it's ridiculous. Michael Penix Jr. Nine first place votes. You really think the quarterback at Washington should have won the Heisman? Come on. Nine first place votes. Um, John Robinson, four first place votes for Texas. He was the best player in college football. And then was it Drake May at North Carolina? Three votes. Those 13 vote. those 16 voters shouldn't be allowed to vote anymore. They take those votes away from those people. Come on. It's ridiculous. The nine people, Michael Penix Jr., better than Caleb Williams. Stop it. And the only way that this works is there's so many voters that the nonsense cancel each other out. And about the 250 people that probably take this somewhat seriously, that aren't just voting for their own conference, whether it's Big Ten honks or SEC honks or Pac-12 honks. You're not Pac-12 honks because... The award tend doesn't to live out there. I, I was glad to see Caleb Williams win it. He's the best player I saw all year. I, I went through and looked. I watched completely, complete three USC games this year. One in person. 
caught bits of five or six of the 870 voters. How many do you think you can say that? I'm not saying I deserve the award or should vote. No, I'm, I'm just saying when I consume more football than over half your voters, and look, this thing's grandfathered in and I get it. But to me, it's a vendetta vote for some people. I see some of the people publishing their ballots. I mean, come on. The nine voters that said Michael Penix Jr. is the, it's ridiculous. And look, this it happens all the time. People vote for their own guy. It's ridiculous. It's amazing how often they get it right with all the bias. It's bad. I mean, four people. Bajon Robinson, yeah, he's the Heisman winner. Really? Drake May, Heisman winner. Good God, 16 people right there. And to me, like, Blake Corum had a good year. You know, to give him the Heisman, he didn't play in the last six quarters. Well, that it matters. Bryce Young had a, you know, if he'd have been healthy all year, but he wasn't. I just look at it. Well, if he'd have been healthy, but he wasn't. So you're going to punish the guy that was healthy and reward the guy that wasn't? It's not fair. I know life's not fair, but that's just the way it works. I, I just, I look at some of the voting and good gracious. <laughs> Is it closer than, was it the second closest when in six years? <laughs> It's all he won by a lot. To me, the Heisman voter evaluation, you got to redo this. It's 870 people. Stop it. Think about that. What's the math on that? 870 divided by 50, if you want to go state by state. 13 people per state, 14 people per state. You think there's 14 worthy voters per state? That's not even counting. That's counting 14 voters in my Wyoming and 14. There's... What, 40 people that should be voting for the Heisman from the state of Florida? Come on. Be smart about this. Really? Four? Come on. So, to me, the Heisman voting, when I looked at the final list, I'm like, this is, this is ridiculous. And what it shows you, it's their own fault. It, what it shows you is people only watch the games in their area. Cut that list in half. Cut that list in half. And this is how you do it. If you look at somebody that's a California voter, and they haven't voted for an SEC player in the top three the last five years, goodbye vote. If they're an SEC voter and they haven't voted for somebody out of the Pac-12 in the last five or somebody out of the Big Ten, goodbye vote. It showed you. And just look at the final listing, okay? If you're an SEC voter and you look at the final three the last five years and match them up, how close do they get? So let's say you're an SEC voter and you haven't voted for one Big Ten player the last five years and four have been in the top three, no more vote for you. You're out of touch. It's being devalued. What to wrap with the NFL? We got a four-week window, four-week watch list when it comes to the National Football League. And with essentially a month of games to go, I want to look at the bookends. But first, the air is a front runner in the MVP right now. It's Jalen Hurts. It was Patrick Mahomes until his three-interception effort on Sunday. Boy, he looked like, okay, here it is in the first half, but he kept Denver in the game with mistakes, and this is what happens. Patrick Mahomes, right? It's feast or famine. And first half feast, second half famine. Made a lot of mistakes. And look, he's still going to throw for 45 touchdowns, three picks in one game. That's a lot. When Jalen Hurts only has three picks all year, Eagles have the best record in the NFL. So Jalen Hurts is going to have 4,000 yards passing in what? 30-plus touchdowns and five or six picks? 35 touchdowns? Jalen Hurts is the MVP right now. And then after that, if you, Mahomes and Tua and all. But Jalen Hurts is... A month ago, it's Jalen Hurts' is to lose. I look at the bookends in the NFL when it comes to the playoff race with a month to go. The NFC, let's face it, it's the Eagles. The fact that the Vikings lost to the Lions. Now the 49ers enter the fray, but with a three-game lead on the Niners. With four, Look, 
the one seed in the East is going to be, unless somehow the Cowboys work their way back into this at 10 and 3, it's going to be the Eagles. The question I have now is who's the two seed? Is it going to be the Niners or the Vikes? And Purdy, the job that he's done is pretty, pretty strong, pretty amazing. And the fact that they dump the Bucks the way they lit up the Bucks. Now, Debo Samuel being out, there's just so many injuries you can have. And with him being done, I, it, it's the Eagles. It's the Eagles conference to win. I think on the back end, there's some, fa- it's fascinating on the back end because you have the Giants hanging on for dear life after getting smoked by the Eagles and you have the commanders, but who's lurking. I always look at these teams that are lurking and getting hot at the right time. I don't know if they can make up enough ground, but the two teams that are sitting there lurking are the Packers and the lions. And they don't play till the end of the year. They play the final game of the year, but with the Packers hosting like the Rams and what the lions have coming up, the lions have the Cowboys coming up. You look at where those two teams are. The Giants and the Commanders, the fact that play Eagles and Cowboys and all these interdivision games are taking place. Here's a chance for the Lions and the Packers, considering they don't play each other till the end. Now, at the end, one of them is going to have a devastating loss in Week 17 or Week 18, whatever we call it now. So, I, those are the two teams that are lurking. Lions more so than the Packers. Lions are red hot. They are. They're red hot. They get home game with the Vikings too, so they get to host them. They have some road games in there that are going to be difficult. But to to me, the NFC, it's about the bookends. Eagles up at the front with the Niners, but the Debo injury is devastating. And the Vikings, oh my God. And here come the Lions on the outside looking in. To me, the NFC is going to be a zoo down the stretch. Love it. But the teams at the back end lurking, I don't see the commanders or the Giants going on the road like beating the Vikings. I, I just don't. The AFC is a different story. Like the NFC at the top's over. The back end's going to be a zoo. The AFC is a little bit different. Both ends have the opportunity to be a zoo. To me, in the AFC, there's still three teams that could end up with home field. Chiefs, or Bills, Chiefs, Dolphins. I don't think all three of them can lose enough to get the Bengals up in there. The Titans are falling apart. But the Bills, the Chiefs. Well, one of those teams is going to go three and one. Don't we think down the stretch, one of those teams is going to go three and one down the stretch? And the Bills are in the driver's seat. They hold the tiebreaker over the Chiefs, and they host the Dolphins coming up. And it's imperative for the Dolphins to get home field because if the Dolphins have to go on the road, now the Finns can get away with going to Tennessee and winning, maybe. But if it starts to snow, it's a you know 13 to 20-degree day, and they hand the ball off to Derrick Henry 25 times. But with what the, the Jaguars just did, we're going to get the Jaguars in a second. AFC, look, there's three different teams up there. I, I do think out of the AFC, though, there are three teams that legitimately have a shot to go to the Super Bowl. Three. In the NFC, I think there are three. In the NFC, I think the Eagles have a shot. Boy, it's going to be tough for the Cowboys to go on the road, but right now the Cowboys still have a shot because they still have a shot at the division. And I'd say the 49ers. I don't think anybody else does. I don't think the Vikings do. Nobody else does. In the NFC, I think there are three teams that have a shot to go to the Super Bowl. Bills, Chiefs, Bengals. Everything else is just kind of there. I don't think the Dolphins do. Just don't. Last week, they... So, hey... (laughs) The back end of the AFC is fascinating because, you know, the Pats and the Chargers hanging on for dear life, but, you know, you got the Jets and the Jags back at that back end too. Can the Jags actually get in here? They're going to have to win out. Or I, I think at 8-9, they still have a shot to get in there. So if they can go 3-1 and one, their final four games with the Jags, 
Yeah, they went to Detroit and got drilled, who's probably the hottest team in the NFL right now, Sands Eagles. Fast, look, there, there's where we are with a month to go. The middle is just kind of mush. All the excitement's on the back ends and the front end. From what I've seen, I, I, I think right now, after Debo getting hurt, I think it's the Eagles-Bills Super Bowl. But, you know, give me 48 hours. The way the NFL's going, things change constantly. Beginning of the year, what did I say? I think I said, <laughs> I said Packers. Did I say Packers? Bills-Packers, didn't I? <laughs> Packers still have a shot. Got to win out, though. All right, there we go. Harfon Sports, the bar, radio on <laughs> video network. Uh, follow, share, like, subscribe at Harfon Sports Twitter, at Harfon Sports Instagram, on a toy route, Buzzsprout, Spotify, Apple Podcast, the bar. Also, Harpon Sports, the Facebook page, Harpon Sports, the bar, the YouTube channel, and of course, harponsports.com. Remember, stay clean, stay focused, stay strong. Frankenstein, have fun with your friends. <laughs>